Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. As we get to the end of Joshua chapter 23, here we have a dying man that needs to make a transition. And it's oftentimes at the end of someone's life, when you boil it all down, that you're really able to really see clearly what is needed, what the most important things are in life. We don't all get the opportunity to speak that kind of wisdom into people's lives, but some do. If you're fortunate enough to be able to kind of foresee your death, it's a long, if you call that fortunate, I don't know, but the opportunity to be able to speak wisdom in people's life, what would you say? What words would you come up with? Would they be profound or would they be, would they be you know, vertical or would they be horizontal words? Would they be words focused on heaven and Christ and words that you want to instill in those that are going to be left here to pass the baton of faith to someone else? Or would they be words of uh, you know, self-focus of yourself and what you long for and, and what you missed out on? The, the last words of people are often the most profound. We have some, some people who have who've given some very, very profound uh, last words in their lives. It's because they can see clearly through the chaff. And they boil down, life down to priority and what, what matters. That's what Solomon said to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. He said, listen, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay to it heart. What Solomon was saying is that there is, with death comes wisdom. Death keeps us grounded. It makes us focus on important things in life. It tells us that we don't have all the time in the world. Andrew Seward, the man who brokered the Alaskan purchase with Russia in 1867 on his deathbed said these three words love one another profound biblical scripture love one another D.L. Moody upon his deathbed as he turned to his sons and said if God be your partner make your plans great Profound faith, belief. The Scottish theologian John Knox uttered these piercing words when he died. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Wow. Sounds a lot like Philippians 1.21. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. These are some of the words that have been uttered at the dying of some believers, some professing believers. Today we will hear some of those wise words from a man who's dying. His name is Joshua. He's the one that we've been following for the past eight weeks. Watching God use him mightily to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And he's coming to an end. His life is almost over. And he wants to leave the children of Israel with some wise words to live by. Wise words to live by. That is the title of my message this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 23. 
Joshua chapter 23. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you, you chose to come and worship with us this morning. And uh, if you're watching online, streaming the service today, we want to welcome you as well as anyone who is uh, listening to this via our website or a podcast later. Joshua chapter 23. We're two sermons away from closing this book. And we have, we have seen some, some incredible things. And it's been faith builder for me. I don't know about for you, but man, it's been an, an, a great time in the book of Joshua. I look forward to, you know, moving, moving on and see what the Lord has for us next. But Joshua is coming to the end of his life and he wants to instill some words of wisdom to his brothers and sisters. And they will need it. They need to hear what he has to say. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read uh, these verses together in Joshua chapter 23. Verse 1 says, A long time afterward, when the, Lord surrounded, surra when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all elders, all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officials, uh, its officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it, is the, uh, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall... Possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all what is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix uh, with the these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you uh, great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to a flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining, among you and make marriages with them so that you may so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground the Lord your God has given you and now I am about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word is failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God 
which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. And we thank you, Father, this morning for your word. We thank you for your grace, Lord, and for your mercy on our hearts and our souls, Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ and him paying the price for us and entering into this new covenant that we now uh, celebrate. But Father, as we look back in the Old Testament and we see the law, the adherence, the requirement, the condemnation, Lord, let us rejoice this morning that Jesus Christ has paid that for us. But Lord, let us glean what we can from this passage this morning from these very wise words from a man that is about to enter into eternity. And so we ask, Father, that you would open our hearts. We ask that you would help us to see the things that you desire for us to see this morning. Change our lives, God. Help us to become more like Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. When we come to verses 1 and 2 here, in Joshua 23, we find uh, the summoning of the people of Israel. Notice that it says, he summoned all of Israel, and it represented by its elders and heads, its judges and officers. Joshua was addressing the people of Israel through the leadership of Israel. This was really the only effective way for him to communicate to the mass of people that were following them into the promised land. It was through the elders, it was through the leaders, it was through the officers, those, the judges, those people that were appointed to lead certain things. There were people under them that they would communicate to. They were to take these messages back to their tribe, their clan, the people that they would associate with, and they were to repeat what he said. Oftentimes we can come to a passage like this and we can see like, oh, he's addressing the leaders of Israel, so he's not addressing me. No, he's addressing everyone. All of Israel, but he's doing it through the leadership of Israel. It would be like me communicating to you uh, through our elders. I don't know if you know who our elders are. Do you know who they are? Can I introduce you to them? The, uh, one of our elders is Pastor Brian Thacker. Where are you, Brian? Are you in here? Can you stand up? This is Pastor Brian. He's one of our elders here. Uh, well, whoa, applause. Oh, my gosh. Well, and then we have John Young in the back here. He's also one of our elders. He's the guy that does all the announcements every week. Uh, we also have Dan Bradlow, who's not here with us today. But, but if I had a picture, I should have put the picture up from Facebook that I saw with him, standing with the draft behind him. Anybody else see that picture? I should have put the, that one up. Dan is also a, an elder of the church. And then Mike Mondary. Mike, where are you? Is Mike in here? Mike Mondary is also an elder in the church here. And uh, so these are the guys that God has appointed, the eldership of our church. Now, we also have leaders in our church. We have, uh, you know, Cindy, who leads uh, women's ministry, who we're going to be missing greatly when they move to Colorado. Cindy, would you raise your hand here? This is Cindy, Cindy Lemp. Also, her, her husband, Tom, in the back here, has been over um, the, the, the security ministry here at the church. Tom is a, a leader in the church. Greg Lake over here. Greg is also uh, one of the leaders here at the church. Uh, my wife, Sonia, is a leader here. Um, and uh, we have uh, Jean Trimble. Where, uh, Jean's probably in the back. Is she, is she in here? 
She's in children's ministry. You probably know who she is. Uh, Jean Trimble. LaDonna Braidlow also leads the youth group. And so the, these are the people that God has brought around to us. Well, oh, we have, we have uh, um, also Kyla Young. She kind of handles the welcome area and all that kind of stuff. She's back there waving at you. And, uh, and also Leah Mondary. She keeps the, all the administrative stuff organized and communications between all the leaders and stuff. And so these are the people that God has brought together in our fellowship to help us. Now, here's the deal is that, that God may have a calling for one of you to step into one of these roles. It's not for us to appoint. It's for him to do. He decides who does what. He's assigned us all with different tasks. Not any one of us are any greater than the other. Every one of us has a purpose here in this fellowship. We all have something to do that God has given us to do. And so it would be like me communicating. What Joshua is doing here is communicating through this leadership. Now, one other thing I want to point out that you may have been curious about is the leadership style of Calvary Chapel. Now here we find in, in the scriptures, we find that Joshua has taken over what Moses had set up. Moses was a man that God called. And he was the man that God was using to orchestrate his plan and purpose. Right? The way that, uh, that, that God called Moses to do that was Moses was, was simply in charge. It was his, God's vision through Moses that he would deploy. Moses couldn't do it all, could he? And so God brought along these, these elders and leaders and whatnot. That is the, 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 the leadership style. That is the, 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 chief, the church structure of Calvary Chapel. That is how we operate. Now, there are many different types of structures that churches operate by. There are congregationally led uh, you know, uh, uh, congregations where they, they have committees and different things and people vote and they figure that all out. That's not how we do it here. Uh, there are also elder-led um, congregations where you have a group of guys that lead you know a church and they all kind of make decisions and in, 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 in the direction that uh, they're going to go that's perfectly biblical fine with that but then we have the Moses model which is the model we follow which is God called a man he called me to Calvary Chapel Columbia to start this church now you might think like where's his accountability well the way that we do it is we have a board of directors now Peter Miller Peter raise your hand Peter Miller's one of the board of directors here at our church we also have two other guys as our board members in our church, we have one fellow that was my pastor in, in Sarasota, Florida. He's on our board. And we also have been very, very blessed with a guy that has been on many, many boards, uh, many, many Calvary Chapel boards uh, ac across the United States. He currently is serving at Calvary Chapel Chattanooga. He's 80 years old. The guy's going strong. He's in ministry, and he is rocking. The guy's getting married, like, in June. I mean, praise God. His wife had died a couple, uh, three years ago or so, and he met, a, uh, you know, somebody, and now he's getting married. I, I talked to him the other day. I was like, Ted, that is so awesome. But Ted Seidel is one of, also one of our uh, board members. Now, you will meet these guys. They will be coming up in, in, you know, whatever, as John said, maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks, hopefully not any longer than that. When we move into our new, new area, they're going to come up and, and be here uh, for the, maybe the first or second service. We're not sure yet. We're trying to figure out what the schedule is, but... You'll meet those guys. But these guys are, are how I am accountable. They're the ones that I, I, don't, I don't get to just make decisions, you know, on whatever I want to do because I'm the guy that God called. No, I have people that God has placed in my life to keep me accountable. These guys are guys that have been in ministry for a long time or, you know, they all have different giftings. They all have specific things that God has used in their lives. Then we also have our elders, which they are um, sort of the errands of this structure, you know, when God called Moses to deploy his plan, 
he, he then brought his brother Aaron along, and Aaron and his sister were the ones to hold up the arms of Moses. And that is the picture of our leadership with our, with our elders and different leaders. They are to hold up and to support what God has called us to do as he's put the vision in my heart. That's our structure. That is how we operate. It's very much like what, what Joshua is doing. It's, it's modeled after that. It's exactly that, that model. And so I, hopefully that clarifies to you how we do this. But really, ultimately, what was happening here is Joshua was, again, using the structure that was put in place to communicate to the people. God is a God of order. There's nothing wrong with structure. God wants us to be structured. However, where we err is when we overstructure, when we start to structure everything and we have no room to let the Spirit of God move. That is where Calvary Chapel is different, where we, tr where we try to be Spirit-led, where we allow the God, God to say, hey, Lord, these are our ideas, but we want you to direct us and lead us and tell us where you want us to go. That's why we need you to pray. That's why we want you to pray for myself, for our leaders, for our board, because we want to be Spirit-led. We don't want to just come up with good ideas. Well, maybe they're good, maybe they're not. We want to have spirit-generated uh, uh, you know, direction in the, the church here, and so we need your prayer. But that's what's happening here. Joshua is calling these people to himself, and he is helping them. Um, he's going to now communicate some things. He is advanced in age. Some people say that it is now 25 to 30 years after the children of Israel had entered into the promised land. So from the time they crossed the Jordan, people speculate that it's been about 25 to 30 years. They, they also speculate Joshua to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 110 years old. So he's a ripe old dude. And, and he, is, he has seen a lot. God has done an incredible amount of things through him. And before he knows that time is short, he tells him, listen, I'm old. I'm old, man. I, I, my mind's not working the way it was. My ears, I can barely hear. I can't see much. You know, my hair's falling out. Let me depart some wisdom to you before I leave. Let me explain some things. Let me tell you what my mentor told me. Let me explain to you what God told Moses to tell me to tell you. It's the way it works. We don't change the message. The message is the same from the day that God called Moses to, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, and it's going to continue. And there are some things that these people need to know in order to do this successfully. There are five things that I want to show you in these, in these verses here regarding wise words to live by. The first is, always look backward before moving forward. Always look backward before moving forward. Look at verse 3 there. He says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done. Joshua is telling the leadership of Israel something to, to look backwards. This is past tense. You have seen. You've already seen what God has done. He's drawing their eyes backward before he commissions them forward. This is always a good idea. It's always a good idea before you just charge ahead to take a step back and say, hold on a second. What would the Lord have me to do? What would he have me to do in this situation? Listen, sometimes life can get us so distracted that we lose perspective, and so it's a good thing to take a step back and remember what God has done before you go for forward in life. Because trust me, what lies ahead will be challenging. What lies ahead is not an easy road. 
It's not, you know, something that you're not going to have any challenge with. God is going to take you to higher heights. In order to do that, he needs you to grow in your faith. And so it's a great time to take a step back and remember everything that he's done. And that's what Joshua's doing. Remember what God has done. Remember the great things. Remember the, the, great, uh, the, the Red Sea being divided. Remember when we parted the Jordan and we walked on dry land. Remember when God drove out the enemies of this land. Remember before you move forward. You need to be built up in your faith in order to walk the path that God has for you. So take time to remember what God has called you to before you move forward. Remember what he's done, I should say. Before you move forward in what he's calling you to do, remember. As I look back on my life in the last 20 years of walking with the Lord, man, I am blown away at what God has done in my life. This is not something I created, you know, not something I set out on a path to do at all. In fact, in many ways, I'm a lot further off where I thought I would be, but in a lot better ways. In other words, this wasn't my specific path. I was, you know, wanted to do what the Lord wanted me to do, but I saw him move in mighty ways in my life and trans- transform, uh, you know, myself, my heart, and my wife, and my family, and bring us to the place that we are today. And as I look back on all the things that God has done, how faithful he's been to us, man, uh, you know, before I take a step forward, it builds me up in faith. I remember, man, yeah, I remember what God, who God is, what he's done in my life. He can do greater things. He's much bigger than, than I, I could even imagine. And so it wells up that hope in me. You feel the hope in yourself when you start to look backward and see all that he's done. God, you're so good, right? You guys with me on this? Like he has done so much in your life. And as you look backward, it builds the faith up for you to start climbing up the mountain. And that's what he's telling him to do. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Now, here's the deal is we don't want to live in past experiences. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to allow your past experiences to build faith for your new ventures. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Joshua is telling them. You're getting ready to take transition is going to happen. I'm going away. Remember what God has done before you move forward so that you can conquer the enemies as you go into the land. You're going to deal with lots of different things. So you remember all of the things that you saw. Remember how God rescued you. Remember how he sustained you. Remember how he cared for you. Remember how he nurtured you and fathered you. Listen, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's the beauty of looking backward is we can be reminded of who he is. And what he can do in the future in our lives if we just trust him. Notice what he says here. Look, uh, the things that you have seen who? The Lord do. It's not the things that you have seen me do. Joshua's not focused on himself. He's not the things that God has done in your life. He said that are, are done through you. It's what the Lord has done. He's focusing on God and what God has done through them. That's always the right focus. You should never, ever say, remember when I did this. That's, that's stripping God of his glory. It's remember when the Lord did this through me. You might think that's semantics. I think that's worship. I think there's a difference. I think sometimes we, we, we say, well, look what I've done. And, and, and Well, you know what I mean. I don't mean I, but you know, I mean the Lord. But ultimately, yeah, I, I know what you mean. 
I really do know what you mean. It's not semantics to God when it comes to his glory. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember all these great things. He said he's, gonna, he's been so faithful to them he, to fulfill all his promises. And so they know that they can trust him moving forward. He's going to push their enemies back, Joshua is telling them. He's going to give them that 300,000 square miles of land that he promised. He's going to do it. He's just, he's just pushing the people out of the land now. But they'll have to take the land. They'll have to progress. They can't get comfortable and start to compromise. Because when you start to get comfortable, you do compromise. Don't stay where you are, he says. Progress. Move forward. God is giving you the land. You don't even have to do the work. He's done it for you. Progress in the land. He's faithful. Joshua was building hope by looking backwards. Now, as he move, moves on and is looking backwards, he reminds them of some vital characteristics that they're going to need as they continue. Uh, there, there's three things that he tells them here, three different characteristics that are necessary for them to be, uh, to be successful in the future. And these still apply to us today. These are not removed. There, there's much of the Old Testament that's still in play today. Jesus fulfilled the law, but everything else upon that is, you know, he took the curse from the law, but that doesn't mean we don't follow the law. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't we're not rule keepers. You follow me on this, but, but the law was meant to point us to Christ, but the law is God's standard. And so when we fail at the law, we're not condemned by the law if we're in Christ, but that doesn't mean we don't try and live that way. You follow me? Like God gave all of that as, as, as sort of parameters. Those, those things are what is good for us. You know, when you consider not worshiping anybody else but the Lord your God, not having idols before you, you know, all of these things, the, the Ten Commandments, when you consider all of what's being said there, these are all healthy, good things for us. But they're not how we're saved. They are not how we're saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He paid the price. But so oftentimes we, we, you know, I hear people say this. Well, you know, the, 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 those things have passed away. And, and Jesus said, not one, one dot or tittle, pass away. Yes, I fulfilled the law for you. But it's not going to pass away. It'll stand forever. And so be reminded of that. Now, here's some things that he wants them to be obedient to, some things that they need to apply, some characteristics that they need to live by. The first one is they need to obey the word. Verse 6, therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Joshua is reminding the leaders of Israel to do all that is written in the book of law and not to turn from it. Now, this seems so elementary, doesn't it? Obey the word. Well, yeah, come on. Can we move forward? We got that. We know that. But you know what? I, I often find that the people that want to move past the elementary things of being reminded of the elementary things are the very people that are struggling with the elementary things, that they haven't even applied it to their life, but they have the knowledge of it. And, and you know, the reality is, is that God is more interested in not how much we know, but how much we apply. You hear that? Like he's concerned about us walking out his word, not just simply knowing it. And so many people could to rattle off scripture after scripture and, oh, let's move on to the meat of the, of the passage. I don't need to be reminded of these great things. So stoic, and yet they're not even applying the simplicities of the word. Listen, be reminded. I need to be reminded of the very simple things because I'm a very simple man. And I forget 
And I'm thankful that God would remind me of these things. You know, when you look at Scripture, there's so much repetitiveness. What does that say about us? Hello? We need to be reminded. And so he tells them, listen, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't just be memorizers of Scripture, but be obeyers of Scripture. Obey the word. Jesus said, again, that's not a means of salvation, but that is, that, that is a, 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 there's a blessing in the obedience of, of, of following God's word and applying it to your life. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 28, verse 11. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said there's a blessing in, in receiving God's word and doing it. He also said in the Great Commission, this is something that we ought to, to not only uh, you know, receive and to do, but we're also called to teach other people. He told us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus, yes, he paid it all, but, but he said there's some things that you need to live by. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You do those things, and you will fulfill the law. I'm still struggling with the first one, and then the second one's even a little bit harder, because people are sometimes hard to love, if you know people. But, um, you know, but the reality is, is when I fail at it, Christ paid for me. But that doesn't mean that I don't try it, that I don't try and live to that standard. We're to teach people to observe the word. Listen, we don't want to be part of the crowd that neglects the obedience of Scripture. We don't want to be part of the crowd that, that turns to the right or to the left. We, we don't want to be left-wing liberalists or right-wing uh, legalists. Uh, you know, if Satan can't stop you from reading God's word, he will take you to extreme positions in it. So guard yourself. He's going to try and push you to be a liberal in God's word as it relates to application or a legalist in God's word, but you stay in the center and you say, no, I'm going to do what the word says. I'm not going to get legalistic. I'm not going to be liberal in my understanding of scripture. I'm going to do what it says, period. Some people don't even believe in this. At that point, where do you even go? What do you believe in? What do you, what do, you do? And there are churches like that. Don't believe that this is the absolute word of God. Run from those places. Run from them if they, if they start to degrade God's word. Listen, we don't want to neglect or go beyond what scripture says. We want to just simply do what it says. We want our elders and our leadership here and everyone who attends Calvary here to be strong and not just knowing the word but doing it but being doers of the word. Secondly, Joshua reminds them to remain separate from the world. Look at verse 7. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among, the, among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Israel was always commanded to be in the world but not of the world. Doesn't that sound familiar? Just like you and I. We're called to be in the world but not of the world. Listen, we're not permitted to mix with the world, and Israel was not permitted to mix with the world. God told them, you stay away from the world. You're going to long for the things of the world, but you keep yourself from it, because the minute you start to marry yourself with the world, you will start to see the world's characteristics in your life. You can't stop it. You're not strong enough. 
You can't do it because that's your natural bent. That's what you desire to do. You love to go the way of the world. It's what your flesh wants to do. It's the Spirit of God that wars against those things. He tells the children of Israel, do not intermarry with the people because if you do, you'll be bowing down to their gods very quickly. So guard yourself. Don't allow yourself to do that. God is telling you and I to beware of this in our lives. To not allow the world to penetrate your heart because it's going after your heart. It's going after the heart of your children. It's coming after you. It's seeking you. The enemy is, is using the world to draw people away. And so we have to set up guards in our life. Man, and I was just considering this, you know, about the things that we allow into our houses, the things that we allow on our TVs, the, 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 the various different things. And I'm, I'm like, man, there, there, there's some time for us to do some spiritual uh, uh, spring cleaning at my house because as I consider what the Lord is saying about, you know, not allowing the world to penetrate. Listen, if your kids can quote TV verses more than they can, you know, uh, Bible verses, there's a problem. You know, we're, we're allowing too much of the world in and it's going to sway us away. I want to protect my kids. I want to feed into my kids. And I'll tell you, I'm guilty of that. And I, I, I ask you to pray for me because I want to protect my children. I don't want to allow them to experience the things that God is trying to keep them from because they're not good. Paul said this in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, for your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So what he's saying is, I want you to know the good stuff. I want you to know God's word. I want you to know all these things. But as it relates to the world and to evil, I want you to be innocent of it. I, I want you to be caught off guard like, what? People do that? That's what he's talking about. He's saying not that we know what the, the, what the, what the latest, you know, latest uh, uh, you know, 50 shades of gray is or whatever. We know all of these various different things in the world and we know the lines and we know all this kind of stuff and yet we hardly know the Word of God. You will become like the things that you allow into your life. You know, if, if you allow worldly things into your life, you will act like the world. There's no way you can stop that. So what that says is we have to guard our hearts. We have to be beware of these things. Joshua is reminding us of this because it's a temptation for us to start shacking up with the world. It's a temptation for us to start shacking up with the world and before you know it, you start acting like, like them. You start making their gods your gods. You start swearing by their gods. You start serving their gods. You start bowing down to their gods. And God is trying to protect you and I from a lot of wasted time and a lot of misfortune. Because the world gives you empty promises. It can't keep what it, deliver, what it, what it, what it says it can do for you. It cannot. We see this time and time and time again with people that go after fame and fortune and all this kind of stuff, and they're the most miserable people on the planet. How many times do we have to see that before we stop going, oh, maybe I shouldn't seek after those things. But the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Your life will be, you'll be blessed, and then all these things will be added to you when God knows your heart is right with him. Listen, don't fall for this. You can't mingle like you're single if you're married because eventually you will be single. You know what I'm saying? That's the way it works. You can't flirt with the world and expect not to fall. 
You'll fall hard. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word holy literally means separate. So be separate as God is separate. We are to be separate from the world. Lastly, he reminds us here to cling to God. Verse 8, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. The word cling in the Hebrew here is the same word that's used in Genesis 24, or 2.24, where it says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast is the word cling. Same word, hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the idea of clinging or holding fast is literally to be joined together. That's what he's talking about. You need to cling to God like that. Like you need to hold on to him with everything that you've got to adjoin yourself to him and never let go. He'll never let go of you. But sometimes we lose our grip. Thankfully, he, we're secure in his hand. Thankfully, we're secure in his grip. Joshua is reminding us to join ourselves to God and no other. The children of Israel have already been doing this. That's what he said. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. And you'll be fine. You're clinging to God. You're not depending on yourself. You're depending on Him. You're allowing Him to go before the battle. You know how that goes, right? When you cling to God and you allow Him to go before your battle and how easy it is. You just go, wow, I can't even believe that's how it worked out. I just gave it to the Lord and He worked it all out in my life because I was clinging to Him. And even when it was bad, it didn't seem so bad because I was clinging to God. And when we cling to God, somehow, someway, regardless of what we face, He seems to make it all right. He seems to make it okay for us. When we cling to God, it's how we learn to love God. When we cling to God, it's the way that we look. When we join ourselves together with God, we grow in our love of God. It's when we, we create distance between Him and us that we, that we stop loving Him. And so that clinging is necessary and is beneficial to our loving Him. Let me illustrate this. When I, when I got married to my wife, I knew her. I, I knew her well, I thought. You know, I didn't know there was two people. In, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. She didn't know there was two people in me, actually. But, um, but the reality is, listen, I knew her. But as I have clinged to her and she has clinged to me, we've joined together and we're not allowing things to separate. We've grown in our love for one another. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, you know, Steve and Glenda, are they here? These guys, man, they are never separated. Do you know that? They're together all the time. Like they have, they work together. They, they hang out together. They live together. They shop together. They, they do all kinds of stuff together. That's why they're still together. You know, I mean, they have joined themselves together and they have grown in their love for one another and they continue to grow in their love for one another. That's what, he, that's what happens when you cling to God. You grow in your love for Him. There's no other way to do that. If you want to grow in your love for God, as, Paul, as Joshua is saying, love God, the way you do that, you just spend time with Him. You join yourself to Him. You care about what He cares about. You, you, know, you invest in that relationship. And that's what He's telling us to cling to Him. Are you clinging to Him today? Or do you just kind of have this arm's distance relationship? You're holding His hand, but there's distance between you. That's not the idea he's talking about. He's talking about two pieces of paper glued together. That's how close you want to be with them. 
You don't want space between you and God. You want to be holding on to his legs with everything that you got. Don't trip him up. You can't. But really, that's what he's talking about. If there's distance in your relationship, close the gap today. Because I promise you, he's stepping towards you. And he wants to close the gap. But you have to do your part. You've got to step towards him. And when you do, man, he meets you right there. And he shows you that he sees the steps that you're taking to, to draw close to him. And you're creating, and he lets you see that intimacy that's being created between him and him, uh, you. Listen, you want to love God like he's talking about? You've got to cling to him. You've got to cling to him. You have to hold on to him with everything that you've got. Listen, we can all grow in our love for for God, no doubt. All we need to do is cling to Him and we will love Him in this way. Listen, we learn here in verses 12 through 13 of the ramifications of what it means to not cling to God. Look at this in verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriage with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Joshua says, listen, you're clingy people. Face it. You're going to cling to something. You're either going to cling to God or you're going to cling to the world. You're going to cling to something. So he says, cling to God. If you turn back and you start to cling to the world, God's, God will stop fighting for you. He's going to stop fighting the battle, the war here for you. Now how does that relate to us today? Well, I think there's times where God just says, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think there's times where God just says, make your choices. And he allows us to just kind of pick our path. And he lets us go down the road of destruction until we want to turn back to him. And then he meets us, and sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't take care of all the mess. He leaves it there for us to remember and to not do it again. He's telling the children of Israel, if you do not cling to me and do not continue to obey my word and you know, separate yourself from the world, then what will happen is I'll just allow the world to infiltrate you. And I'll let them pummel you, and they will become a thorn in your flesh for the rest of your life. And you know that is what happened, right? That's the rest of the story. That is what happened. It's exactly what happened to them, and that's exactly what can happen to you. Listen, God is showing us in these scriptures how we are, the people that we are, the kind of, the, the kind of decisions that we make. And he's telling us today, don't turn back to the world because if you do, the world's going to devour you, chew you up and spit you out, and I will let them do it. It's a choice you're making to do that. God is just saying, here's the conditional promise. If you do what I say and follow my command, then you won't experience this. But if you choose not to, then you know what? I will withdraw my hand and allow uh, your enemies to, to just be a thorn in your flesh for the rest of your life. It's, it's the downside of having free will. And that's what he's telling us. Be careful about the choices you're making. Be careful about them. If you don't stop it, if you don't follow him, you're going to follow somebody. And the only other alternative is the world. You're going to follow the enemy. 
So beware. This is exactly what happened. We, we read it, I think, last week, Judges chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Didn't he just promise them that was what would happen if they stopped doing this, if they stopped clinging to him? And that's exactly what happened. Israel is dealing with that as a result of today even. We're just, all you've got to do is simply cling to God. You have nothing to worry about. Jesus said it like, like this for us in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. He said, abide in me and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are, are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is saying if we cling to him in this way, that we're dependent on him for everything in our life, if we're abiding in him, we're allowing him to supply our every need, we're, 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 we've attached ourselves to the vine, and we're, we're, we're allowing his, his nutrients to come up into our life and his characteristics, we're going to take on his characteristics that we will bear fruit. If you do not, you will not. If you don't abide in Christ, you cannot bear fruit. You can have false fruit. You can tape little fruit up on your tree. It can look like fruit. You can fake other people out like it's fruit. But it's not. It's fake. It's manufactured. And God says, hey, we don't, we don't want to manufacture fruit. We want it to be genuine. Like we want it to come from the vine. We want the nutrients of Christ to come up into us and let us bloom. And that's exactly what will happen if we abide in him. If you do not abide in him, you become a barren branch. You cannot um, bear fruit in your life apart from Christ. And notice he says that those who... Who, will, who, who choose to not abide in Christ, to, to, to reject him as the vine, then, then these branches are going to wither and they'll be gathered up and they'll be thrown into the fire and burn. This is the consequence of choice that they made. The consequence of the choice. Again, God is saying, I'm doing my part, but you've got to do yours. You have to choose me. All God's asking you to do is choose him. That's it. That's it. And, and in fact, in light of who he is, I don't understand why I struggle with that. Isn't that seem silly when you think about it in your life? Lord, in comparison to what, how could I choose that over this? And yet we do. That's why it's so important to stay centered and stay focused on him. Just as these consequences were for Israel not clinging for God, the fact is that um, you know they're dealing with this thorn in the flesh some 6,000 years later. And they're dealing with this whole Arab nation thing, being a thorn in their flesh, and that will not go away, folks. That will stay there until Christ comes back. That's what he said. It's exactly why that's happening. It's because they didn't obey. They didn't, they didn't do what he said, and so they're going to deal with that forever. Listen, don't become like that. Don't allow your choices to take you down that road. 
Listen, we see what it looks like. Don't do it. Joshua reminds us of these, of these things because they're good for us. And uh, these are the words, these are wise words to live by. As we move into verses 14 through 16, we find our fifth and final reminder here. He, he tells us the faithfulness of God works both for you and against you. Look at verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Joshua is reminding us here that God is incredibly faithful with his promises. But we mustn't think that he is only faithful when it comes to promises that are for us. That we also have to realize that he is faithful with promises that are against us. He is 100% faithful with his word. 100%. He does what he says. If you disobey his word, he will, faithfully, he will be faithful to execute what he said would be the consequence for the disobedience. You can take it to the bank. He's going to do what he said. If you live in this certain way, the consequences of that will surely come to pass in your life. It's a promise. And God makes good on his promises. God promised the children of Israel that they would perish quickly from off the good land. And he has given that to them. That was a promise of a curse for their disobedience. And he told them that up front. And in AD 70, that was ultimately fulfilled. Of course, it, you know, the Babylonian captivity came first. I mean, there's many, many times where God was drawing Israel back to himself for, for going off. But ultimately, it came down to AD 70 when Rome came in and took, wiped Israel off the map. They were no longer a nation. They lost their land completely. They lost their land. God took them out just like he said he would. Fortunately, God is merciful. And in, in regard to them, he has a bigger plan. And he says, look, because you have done what, what I told you not to do, I'm going to fulfill my word, but I'm going to give you another promise. And I'm going to promise that I'm going to bring you back into your land. And I'm going to allow you to inhabit your land. And we see that in Amos 9. We see it in, in in, in, in the book of Daniel. We see it in various different places, Ezekiel 37. We see it in lots of different places in the old scripture, uh, Isaiah 61. But here's the thing. That came to pass. In May 14, 1948, was in, Israel became a nation. God did what he, what he said. Just like, he, you know, they were the only nation without a land for 2,000 years almost. They stayed a nation. Now, only God can do that. Any other nation that's been, would just have been absorbed into another nation. But Israel remained a nation without a land because God said, I will kick you off the land. You're going to be ousted because of your disobedience to my word. But I promise that I'll bring you back. And he did. And you know, that is the pinpoint, that's the pivotal point in eschatology where we look at it and go, okay, something interesting just happened. Something big 
just happened because now Israel is back on the scene. They're a nation, and God is preparing, his, preparing them for something. And we know that's for the tribulation period when he will deal with the Jews ultimately. Right now, there's a partial blindness, the Bible says, that's going over the Jews' eyes. They can't see. But one day, at the start of the tribulation, they'll have this, this three-and-a-half-year peace period, and then they'll really see the Antichrist for who he is halfway through the tribulation. This is really quick eschatology. But, you know, and then all of a sudden they'll realize that Jesus Christ is, it was the Savior, that he was the one. These are all promises that he gave Israel, but he ultimately would promise to bring them back into the land, and he did that. But he also promised them that they would be kicked out. God is faithful in all aspects of his promises. Listen, we are new covenant believers. So what does that mean? Well, we, we, we relate to God differently than they do, than in the Old Testament. These guys would ultimately be looking for Christ to come. We ultimately are looking backwards on when Christ did come. And so we're under a different covenant than they are. And so the way that God relates to us is a little different. We're not under the law. Um, he's relating to us by his grace. And so the curse of the law has been removed by Christ for those who believe in him. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, if you're taking uh, notes. It says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by the written things in the book of the law. And do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law, listen, is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who, hang, who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might become, might come to the Gentiles so that we may might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us from the, the, the curse of the law, but that doesn't mean we don't experience the discipline of God. We still experience the discipline of God. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. He says he disciplines those whom he loves. Verse 7 says this, for it is the discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you as, a, as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, For those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Listen, God isn't going to curse you, Christian, because you're under a new covenant. The curse has been taken away by Christ, but he will discipline you. There is still repercussions for actions that we take. It is not free grace and, you know, we get away with everything. There is consequences to every action that you take in this world. God will discipline you because he loves you. And what, what father or mother would not discipline their child when they know the things that they're doing are harmful to themselves, to those around them, that aren't beneficial at all to them? As a loving father or a mother, you would discipline that child. That is what God does in our lives. When we choose to go astray, we go down wrong roads, God disciplines us. Sometimes he lets the world have his way with us. Sometimes he, he brings the spiritual spanking into our lives. Sometimes he strips things away from us. He does all different kinds of things to discipline us, but understand he will he will discipline you because he loves you we relate to him under a new covenant the blood of jesus christ has covered the curse of the law for us and so we're thankful for that but also we understand that we can't just be uh you know we can't tread on his grace 
We want to be obedient to his word. The children of Israel, they experienced the faithfulness of God in both a positive and negative fashion, and so will you and I. When he says something in the New Testament, if you, you, know, if you do this or if you don't do that, that's a conditional promise. And the reality is he's going to fulfill exactly what he says. So you can be sure of that. These are the wise words of a dying man. He's reminding us to always look backward before moving forward, to obey the word, to be separate from the world, to cling to God, and to realize that the faithfulness of God works both for us and against us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your goodness to us this morning, Lord. We ask that you just help us, God, to apply these truths, these wise words that you've given us, Lord. Help us to recognize these things in our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would just draw us close to you now, Lord. You help us to, um, as we prepare for communion, that you help our hearts to be drawn to you, Lord. We thank you so much for Christ and for what he's done for us. We thank you for his blood and for the forgiveness that we find by faith. And Lord, we pray as we move forward here now, Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that you help them to recognize that there is a curse on them, the curse of the law, and that you desire to give them freedom. You desire to grant them forgiveness this morning through your word, through your son, through his blood, by what he's done for us. And it's a simple uh, by faith decision that we make to turn our lives over to you. So, Lord, we want, as we move into this time of communion, that you just remind us, prepare our hearts, and if, if, if there are those that aren't in you this morning, that you help them to, to just come to that place where they recognize that and, and cry out to you, Lord, I need you. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. He spilt his blood on my behalf for my sin. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you this morning. I want forgiveness. I want to be born again. I want to be resurrected like your son was on the third day. Make me new today. Cleanse me, Lord, and make me a Christian. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, that we prepare our hearts even now, Lord, that we ask you for, for the forgiveness we need if there's if that's necessary. So we lift this time up to you as we continue, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.